You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Caleb, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It's wonderful to have you on the program today. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. I would love to hear some of your backstory, Caleb, and then dive into the company you started called Better Wealth. I grew up in an amazing household. I'm the oldest of six kids. My dad's uh, extremely passionate about science and, and the Bible. So I've actually been to Israel twice before the age of 18, had the pleasure of being baptized in the Sea of Galilee. So I had a homeschool conservative upbringing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I had that conservative homeschool upbringing that I had to really make a decision that is this faith going to be mine or is it just going to be my parents? Mm-hmm. The two things that I really struggled with growing up is I was extremely short for my age. My younger siblings were actually taller than me. And to this day, I really struggle with reading. Reading is extremely difficult for me. And so I'm growing up, I was the typical oldest child who is mature, who is the third parent to all my siblings. <laughs> yep. um, and, and at the same time, I had a lot of insecurities because I looked so young and I hated games like apples to apples because I just, I couldn't read. Mm. A story that summarizes my childhood and my amazing parenting really well is I was 12 years old in front of all my peers at Riverside Bible Camp. It was the last day. I was supposed to say two lines. I totally forgot these two lines. And, and in fact, I pulled out my note card, which I wrote the two lines and like painfully sounded out every single word. Mm. And I just remember that feeling of just like being so embarrassed and so frustrated. And I went to my mom the next day and, and she encouraged me and she said, Caleb, the things that you can't control, like your height, don't worry about. Like literally don't put your identity in something that you can't control. Mm-hmm. But the things that you can control, like your reading, like how you show up, like your work ethic, you just need to try harder than the average person. And that was just really special because I grew up in a household that did not pander to being a victim, to pouting. They encouraged me to work hard, but they also didn't put these crazy bars that we had to had to reach that we couldn't control. And so from there, that was really the foundation of my testimony of me growing up, but then also me getting into the money space because my next job, I actually worked at a chicken farm and I gutted chickens. And so let's just say I have a, I'm an appreciation for the chicken sandwich more than the most. <laughs> and I started working there, making money. And that's when I realized that, man, money can, money can literally be a tool that serves so many people. And yet so many people are in bondage and they're suffering because they're not using money as a tool. In fact, they are a slave to this, to the institutions and to the, the dollar itself. Mm-hmm. And so I started realizing that and I wanted to do something in the money space. I got a job at a bank at 17 years old. At that same time, I was graduating high school and starting college in, in high school. And so I started really taking my faith more seriously at 17, 18 years old as I got involved in college ministry. And then I also worked at the bank. And then what really put me on the map, and, and you, we talked beforehand, you actually know some of the people that I worked with. I got mentored incredibly well through there. And at the age of 19, I actually had the opportunity to take over the bank's investment department. And there, that's what gave me the platform to learn so much. I get emotional just thinking about all that's had to happen for me to learn. And then I really felt a strong calling from the Lord and just 
a conviction to not live life with regret. Mm-hmm. And so after graduating college, I actually left, started my company, Better Wealth, and which teaches a lot of the same principles and strategies that I learned at the bank. And we use a thing called Google <laughs> and, the, and the internet, and we educate and help people implement financial strategies that help them take back control over their wealth. And at the age of 21, that's when I started that. And now we have clients in 46 states and 17 people on our internal team. And so we have grown pretty rapidly. And I'm, I'm passionate about people, especially believers, really taking control of what God's given them and be stewards now and in the future. And I'll finish with this. Our mission as a company is to help people live more intentionally now and in the future. It's, it has nothing to do with retirement number or an, a retirement age or a cash flow number. It's all about what does intentional living look like mm-hmm. and how do we do that now? And so that's a little summary on, on my upbringing and what brings us here today. Great summary. Let's dive into the process you went through when you decided to start this company. So you were 19 and you took over the investment side of a bank. I don't know of anybody that age that's ever done something like that. I read a book called Think and Grow Rich. And I know that that's an interesting book as a believer because you own it. It's a lot of it's good and you have to take some of it with a grain of salt. In that book, it talks about value creation. And I wanted to be in the financial service business. I was super well known in my town because I started networking at a young age and and so I got offered a lot of different jobs and I could have made a lot more money. Believe it or not, when I was 19 years old, I was making $8 an hour working as the investment assistant mm-hmm. before taking over the um, bank's investment department. And I actually stayed at the bank and kept my $8 an hour job and said no to making $14, $15 an hour doing other things, mainly because I knew that the bank was a great platform to help me create the most value in the world. The other thing that I love is seven habits of highly effective people. And in that, I I really started really seeking like, what is my mission statement? Why am I waking up in the morning? Like why? There's got to be something bigger than just me making money. And so I actually made a mission statement for myself, which was really key for this time in my life. And the mission statement simply read, help people see and reach their highest potential. Let me repeat that. Help people see and reach their highest potential. Yes. Okay. And the reason why that's so important to me is a lot of people don't even know what their God-given potential is. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing is like, how in the world am I supposed to help you if you can't even see it yourself? Right. But then the second aspect is how can I show up? How can I encourage? How can I create something that will not, I'm not the hero of the story, but I want to be by your side helping you not only see that, but helping you get there. And so that was made without me knowing any of these financial strategies before better wealth was even a thing. It was just like, that was something that I, that I made for my birthday. One of my team members actually made a plaque for me that still hangs on this wall today. And it's probably one of the most cherished gifts I have. And so that was the foundation. And then the guy that was running our bank's investment department took another job. And I was really the only other person at the bank at this time that was even in the department. And so it started out as like a, two month interim of like, let's just make sure that nothing burns down while we find (laughs) someone else. And JG, who is like a second father to me, who is CEO of the bank, he just took me under his wing and said, Caleb, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And even though I wasn't super knowledgeable, I, I was a very caring 19 year old. And so he knew that clients were in good hands and we didn't lose a single client. And in fact, I'm not going to say it was an amazing transition, but it was a good enough transition where, where I kept that role until leaving. And so 
that was kind of the buildup and what made that possible. So then what was it that started to shift inside of you to desire to create this company, Better Wealth? So there was always something holding me back about being bold, about talking to people. And I realized that it was a fear of what other people thought of me. It was a fear of failure because here I was really passionate about helping people with money, but I was afraid of like, what if I don't make it? What if I fail financially? Mm -hmm. And I actually really got deep. It's like, what am I actually afraid of? What am I really afraid of? I was afraid of poverty, which what's funny is I would never be on the streets because my parents would never let me. I have so many amazing friends. Like I would call you up and you wouldn't let me be on the streets. And so it wasn't that I was afraid of starvation. It was afraid of being a failure in the sight of man. And so one of the things that I had to do was I had to look myself in the mirror and say, I am going to lay this at, at God's feet. Mm -hmm. And when I lay that, please use me. And it was very, very clear that the route that I wanted to take, which I did end up taking, was only going to be possible if I could have my identity in something bigger than the opinions of other people. Because as you can probably imagine, starting at 21 years old, I mean, that's that's when most people are going into their senior year and they're trying to get an internship. Yeah. And here I'm starting a company. And by the way, look like I'm 15. <laughs> now, <laughs> now I look like I'm 17 years old, so I'm doing well here. It was one of those things that there was a lot of potential fear. And I think the Lord just really protected me in that time. But it was that was the process that needed to happen mm -hmm. before making that leap. So you came before the Lord and you gave this fear to him. What was the process you went through as that fear started to get moved out of your life? What did you have to experience? I'm a big fan of the one life test, which is I think about death almost every day. And not in a morbid way, but in the way of knowing that in a hundred years, you and I are not going to be around. And our life is just a blink. It's like grass that will wither away. We're going to go before the Lord and we will need to account for how we used our time, how we used our money, and how we used the God-given skills that He's given us. And I think that like fear of the Lord is one of those things where I'm not doing this out of fear. I'm just doing this out of like, God, you've given me something to steward. And it's not just money. It's not just my good looks. It's time. <laughs> I want to hear those words of like, you've been faithful. Mm -hmm. That was very much one of the things is just knowing that I'm going to die someday and none of this will really matter in the end. That's really helped me take the leap, even of not being afraid of what other people think of me, knowing that we're all going to pass away and knowing that I want my life to matter and I'm here for a reason. So what was the first step you took then after you decided you were going to start this company? That's a great question. Actually, you were the first person to ever ask me that question. So the first thing that I did was I'm a big fan of bringing other people on that play to your strength. And one of the first books that I ever read in business was Good to Great. And the bus analogy of like, you get the right people on the bus, then the bus will go places that you would never even dream. And so I would say my God-given skill set is in the ability to cast a vision and the ability to share why. And so there were two people that were very key in this next transition. One guy was named Dan. He's still running our, like he's practically runs operations and runs the whole company now. Mm -hmm. And he was working at a university running all their IT. And he was one of our early clients. And he just was so drawn to the vision that I had within starting Better Wealth that he started working for free for the first year. How did you approach Dan? How did that come about? 
he approached me and it was very simple. He said, Caleb, I am not fulfilled and I want to do something that matters. Why would he feel like he could say that with you? You obviously had some relationship there, right? Uh, yes. I'm, I lead with vulnerability in almost every, every meeting and conversation because I, I know that um, most people will match your willingness to share. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't know me, I can be very intimidating. But I, my hope is that if someone has a conversation with me, that they can be willing to share anything. And I think it's just that friendship that we were building. Mm-hmm. And it was the humility of saying, I'm going to do this and I don't know how this is going to work. Right. <laughs> and, and like, I was living at home at the time. Like, I want people to know that I'm not like, I, like I was scrappy. We, our first office was under a Papa John's building in uh, in a basement with no windows. Like that's not necessarily the most prestigious place to be. But you were close to a food source. That's right. That's right. And we had high speed internet, man. Yeah. That's all we needed. Um, so that, that was key. And then the other person who, who's like a second father to me who actually died two years ago, leaving three kids under the age of 18 to, to cancer. Mm. It was always our dream, you know, growing up because he was a big mentor in my life that we were going to do something together. And so I was very much the face, but I had two really strong people behind me who really were needed in that first year because we were very vulnerable. Like we were a conversation away from us throwing in the towel because we didn't make any money. It was just purely off of a vision at that point. You've got these two people that are involved in this vision. Where did you come up with the framework for the company itself? The whole idea, what was it? The framework was this. I very much believe that most people are devaluing their number one asset which is themselves. So in, in a balance sheet, you take your assets, which is anything of value, you subtract it by your, your liabilities and you get your net worth statement. The problem with that equation is a lot of people are, are not accounting for themselves and a lot of companies aren't accounting for the people that make up that organization. And so in my research and, and just helping people, I realized that there were so many smart individuals who were not showing up powerfully in the way that they viewed their time, their money, and just what they were doing with their life. And over and over, I just saw this common theme. And so the framework for better wealth was we want to be a company that first of all, gets super clear on what's important to you and then helps you with your time and your money and then utilize your expertise to live powerfully today and in the future. And so maybe that wasn't articulated at 21, but we had a, our strategy called the legacy wealth strategy, which the legacy wealth strategy is no longer a thing that we talk about today, but it's essentially like, how can you live your legacy today, which is essentially just articulating what I just shared with you. And mm-hmm. and so we were really big on coaching. And then the other thing that we were somewhat innovative on almost three and a half years ago is we did everything virtually. Now everyone knows what Zoom is because, you know, everyone's now working virtually due to what's going on in our world. But before that, you have to understand that that was very taboo. It was like a lot of financial agents and advisors just were like, why would you work online? Like we were, it was very much of a sit across the table from somebody. And so we had that going, we had the coaching model and then very much the non-typical way to approach money. And those three things kind of made us unique. And then I came out with a book shortly after that, which very much put us on the map and helped grow our business. That's how we started. It was very humble and we probably didn't do a lot right other than stay in business. (laughs) That's doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> the name of your book is The And Asset, correct? Yeah. What was the greatest challenge that you experienced other than keeping the doors open underneath that 
pizza place in the initial phases of the business? That's a great question. And it was actually my fear of other people in our industry. How so? Because I was very much looked at as I've never went through a financial crash. Mm. I don't have gray hair. We don't wear suits. We're on the internet. I'm marketing. And by the way, even at 21, like I'm a better marketer than most at this point. Mm -hmm. And this is a local town. So a lot of people know me. And so it was just one of those things where my biggest challenge, quite frankly, was my fear of other people in the financial service business. Because again, I cared so much about what other people thought of me. And I didn't want them to think like I was arrogant. That was the biggest challenge early on. And then the and then the challenge to this day, but especially early on, was clarity on what our offer is. Like, what are we actually doing? Like, what business are we actually in? Those two things were definitely a challenge. And we were, we were scrappy. No one was on payroll. And so our overhead was incredibly low, which is a huge um, advice for most people starting a business is the thing that usually will tank you is everything takes more time and money than you think. And probably the best thing that we did is I graduated college with 30K in the bank, no debt. I used all of that to get this thing off the ground. Mm-hmm. Now we're a seven-figure business that has 16 people. And so I actually took what I teach people, invest in yourself and really create that platform. I guess my story is a perfect example on a micro scale, what I believe most people can do with their resources and time and abilities. You know, when you sit down with a client, do you lead with really kind of digging into their why and their purpose first? Yes. Let's talk about that. What does that look like? Because that's very unique. Most times I would suspect a financial advisor, and I put that in air quotes, is going to talk about your assets, your liabilities, you know, what's your net worth, blah, blah, blah. You're exactly right. Usually the first thing is uh, look at where you're at and then give you some kind of strategy or portfolio and what you can do with your assets. And it's all about the what. Simon Sinek and his TED Talk, Start With Why, and his, and his books, that very much was a key process for us early on is really articulating the why. And even though I wasn't, I wouldn't even put myself as the smartest person in, the, in this space by a long shot, but our ability to get people to articulate their why is stronger than most companies. And that's why we have so much success. Right now, this is how we work with someone, is we won't move forward if we don't have an ROR statement. In financial service business, ROR usually stands for rate of return, or return on risk. It's what most people focus on And our ROR stands for return on results, which pretty much means what do you actually want? What does financial success look like for you? If you had $10 million today, what would you be doing? Get super clear on if money wasn't an issue, what you would be spending your time on. We get clear on that. And then everything else, everything else needs to then be a mirror to how we get that most efficiently. Yeah. And for me, like that's so obvious. And yet you're totally right. Most people don't talk about that. It, they assume that rate of return is what you want and you can't spend rate of return. And, and I've just seen so many people have this carrot, whether it's their career or carrot, whether it's their portfolio and they're turning their brain off and just doing what they're told. The result of that is usually a terrible thing. The term they're turning their brain off is sad, but true. Mm-hmm. We want to delegate one of the most important things in our life, financial planning and purpose to somebody else. That's right. When in fact, we all have a mandate from the Lord to walk out what he's put in our heart as our desire to do. Yep. And I love that you're taking the time to dig that out of your clients. 
what kind of reaction do you get from your clients when you start going down that path of what's your why? And by the way, we're going to strap you to the chair until you give us that answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of my favorite quotes is Alice in Wonderland. She's at the fork in the road and the cat asks her where she's going. And she says she doesn't know, which most of America is in that category, by the way. Mm-hmm. And the cat says, if you don't know where you want to go, any road will get you there. So it definitely can be uncomfortable. And we also don't want to be intimidating. And so we know that that evolves. It really does. We usually ask why like five times. So if you say, I want to travel. Well, between you and me, that's an incredibly shallow answer. But what you're saying is you want time freedom. Why do you want time freedom? But if someone is just like, hey, I want to not have to worry about work and watch the news and sit on the couch. At the end of the day, I'm not going to judge you. Obviously, my hope is through working with us, your eyes will be open. But if if you're like, this is what I want, I'm not going to then go along and say, no, that's not good enough. It's just at least you're clear. And then it's like, okay, what, what do we need to do? Here's the next part that most financial plans and financial advisors get wrong. Once you know where you're going, think about this analogy of a lot of people that know where they're going, they have one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. That creates a really cringy word picture, yeah. but most people are so inefficient with their cash flow, with their current assets, and how they're approaching debt that once you have clarity on where you want to go, the next step is not to create a financial plan or an investment strategy. It's to audit your cash flow, your assets, and your debts and ask the question, is my cash flow best aligned? Can it increase? Can, it be, can we start tracking our money? is where my money's going. Is this best aligned with helping me with my ROR statement? You look at your assets. Is my 401k? Is my Roth IRA? Is my real estate portfolio? Is my blank best aligned to help me live my why statement? Mm -hmm. And is my debts? Debt can be one of the best or worst things. It's like helped people create massive wealth and it's also chained people. We don't take the approach that one thing is bad or good. When you have clarity on where you want to go, is this thing or what you're doing, is it best aligned with where what you're telling me is important? And you'd be shocked how many people are super hypocritical. And they're, it's not their fault. It's, it's just that they don't know that they're telling me one thing and they're doing the exact opposite with their money. Those are the conversations that most people aren't having. And when you have that, then everything else is incredibly simple. Everything then serves the why that you've stated, right? Yes. So have you had experiences with clients? Have you seen these, oh my gosh, moments in your office where the clarity comes? And have you had those kind of moments and what's it been like? 20% of our clients will cry in the first meeting. (laughs) I was going to ask that. Yeah. Yeah. Even at 19, 20 years old at the bank, I I use Simon Sinek's Y circle just to buy the first meeting because I didn't know what I was talking about. So I would just get really clear about what was important <laughs> to them. And, and by the way, the reason why people love me so much is like, I was very honest with them, but they felt understood. Mm-hmm. That's like communication 101. And so, yes, even at the bank, I would have people that just loved me and just like felt cared for and just was like, Caleb, I trust you because you have a clear understanding of what's important. And then I would do my research on the back end. Mm-hmm. And then that's carried through as we built the team. We've really built culture around, around that. I think if you interviewed our clients, about 20 to 30% of them would be like, I knew that I was going to work with them even before I even talked to anyone, just in how I articulate or how they heard someone on our team articulate why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. 
I'm just really proud of having a culture and a community like that. How important has prayer been in the DNA of your culture? It's been everything. I'm often asked morning routines, and it's one of those things where having the Holy Spirit, whenever I feel anxious or whenever I want to worry, it's like I have to remind myself, why am I here? Who am I performing for? I very much pray just for wisdom and discernment and that that God will use us. While our company is not a Christian company, I would say 85% of people on our team are believers and things happening on our team every day. Spiritual warfare is very evident and we will pray publicly on our huddles with each other. I, I will call team members and pray for them. It's the only way to go. What kind of regrets do you hear from your clientele that sit down with you the first, second, third time and their eyes get opened up? Are there any things that kind of spring to mind that you hear routinely? Yeah. Go to a nursing home and ask people about their life and ask what they regret. And majority of them will never say, I wish I never, like they'll never really regret taking risk. So I think it's just the combination of how we view risk is we we think of risk as putting your money in a stock account that could potentially fall in value or even disappear. But a lot of people are just living mediocre lives because they don't necessarily want to put themselves out there and they don't want to take any risk. Mm-hmm. And the number one regret I hear, because I'll ask people that I admire, like uh, that same question that you asked me, is they regret not doing something sooner or they regret just procrastinating. And through the procrastination of their life, they've just not lived to a fraction of what they can and what God's called them to. I think it's just some people need to get close to death to realize that life is incredibly short and it's like, why are we worrying? And that's the other thing that I just like, I want to be encouraging to you and your audience. And this, I say this to even encourage myself is like in a world where there's a ton of anxiety going on as believers, what are we actually worried about? That's what it boils down to is trust. And then actually acting on that trust that you say you have, which is, uh, that can be a big chasm for a lot of people. It's like that scene from the Indiana Jones movie, when he stepped into the abyss, the bridge appeared. Mm -hmm. What's one thing that you tell others to do that could have the greatest impact in their lives? If you could shout this from the mountain and say, this is the thing that you should do for yourself that will have the greatest impact. What have you discovered that to be thus far? 100% around clarity. I just feel like so many people, whenever stress enters or doubt or uncertainty, it's usually because we have a lack of clarity around how we should be spending our time, our money, and our resources. And I, I know believers that love Jesus, that are living to a fraction of their potential, mainly because they're not willing to be uncomfortable and really get down and dirty on what they really want. So what I would shout from the rooftops is you have one life. Spend the time today to understand how you want to live that. One other question I'd like to ask, and then I'm going to ask you to please pray for our listeners, okay? And that is related to something you filled out prior to our conversation, and it came up twice, and it's encapsulated in the statement, I don't need to fear criticism or even death. Mm -hmm. Please explain that. I believe most people don't act because of an external 
fear of what people or society will think of them. Mm -hmm. Because I think in America, very few of us will actually be on the street. So a fear of feeding your family is valid. But I think for most people, it's the, the status of like taking a step back. It's like, man, knowing that we are going to die and knowing that we're going to be coming before the Lord someday, I just want people to take a step back. And actually an exercise that I'll do uh, on a piece of paper, I'll print off a hundred boxes and each box represents a year of your life. And I'll have people shade that those boxes in on how many years they've lived and, and what will happen is, and I've, I'm 24. And so 24 years went incredibly quick, by the way. And I actually encourage you to do this, by the way. And you'll, you will see how fast life goes. And, you know, let's just say you live to 90 longer than the average person. Mm-hmm. Even for me, time is going to go incredibly quick. And so from there, that just gives me perspective. And that perspective eliminates procrastination and, and really eliminates fear. Um, because the thing that I'm most afraid of is, is not stewarding the time, abilities, and resources that the Lord has given me. Is there anything else you'd like to share that is kind of stirring inside you right now? I talk a lot about the money side. And the thing that has really been heavy on my heart is relationships are everything. Being a believer, we have a relationship with the king of the universe that created the world, who has every reason to just start over, to be honest, and yet wants a relationship with us. That's the most incredible thing. And so, yeah, we can talk about all this stuff. And what I've realized is a lot of people's relationships are not where they should be with their kids, with their family, with their, you know, the people that they work with. The biggest thing that we can do is be in relationships with other people and encourage and be present. Mm. And from there, clarity will come from there. Opportunities will come. Like I'm telling you, I am standing here because faithful men and women that were believers and non-believers, by the way, have poured into me. And I am literally only standing here right now because of hundred plus people that have given or shared or made it possible for me to do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I could know all the right things and, and check all the right boxes, but relationships are why I'm here. And so I just want to encourage you and your audience. Like that's so important to me. And that's why I love being on here with you. Cause I know that a relationship with you is just like, think about all the things that are going to happen in our lifetime together I'm a better human being because I get to be speaking to you right now. Likewise. Thanks for sharing that, Caleb. So as we finish here, I'd love for you to pray for our listeners. Before you do, how can people get in touch with you, Caleb? What's the best way? The best way to learn more about our company and to reach out to us is just to go to our website, which is betterwealth.com. Betterwealth.com. And they can get a book, check out my podcast. We have a lot of free assessments and resources on there. And if there's anything that I can do for you or your audience, like they can reach out to me at Caleb at betterwealth.com and I'll do anything I can do to serve your audience. Thank you for offering that. So as we finish here, could you please pray for our listeners? Yeah, I'd love to. Heavenly Father, God, we we come before you and and first of all, God, we lay all of our desires at your feet. God, I, I lay my desire to be significant and I just pray that you will humble my heart even as I'm praying here. God, I pray that you will humble us as it relates to how we think about money, how we think about our time, how we think about all the the things that are coming into our life, the stresses, the worry, the joy, the excitement. And Lord God, we ask for discernment and we ask for wisdom. 
Lord, I, I pray for the men and women listening to this, this podcast. God, I thank you for not giving us a, a timid spirit. And God, I just pray that you can give us clarity on what our life looks like. And God, there's some people listening to this that need to like take a step back and pivot. There's some people that need to put their head down and, and hit that next thing that they don't want to, that they don't want to do, God. Some people need to pick up the phone and, and talk to someone that is, has a, um, a relationship that's half of what it should be. And God, I just pray that you will give us clarity on the next step and that we can very much live out each day and really put this life, this time and what you've given us and steward it well, not for us, Lord. And, and I, I just want to echo the, the thought of like, it's not about our light or, or our salt, but that people will witness what uh, the way that we live our life and how we are in relationships and the clarity that we have and the power that we're living our, our life out and, and come to you, Lord. And I pray that the way that we live our lives will be the ultimate testimony to what you've done on the cross and the relationship that you want to have with your people, God. So that, Lord, I lift up just this time and uh, I just pray that you will continue to bless us with wisdom, discernment, and in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Caleb. Wonderful conversation. Appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate you and thank you so much for having me on. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.